You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Queer the Isles, the projectionist has smicha. I'm Avram Kivalevich, and I'm here with Yitzchok Kolokowski. And we're here to give you our recommendations for some old movies, as we say, darshaning about old movies and vintage TV. So we've got a couple of uh, picks for you uh, this week. Uh, we had a lot of great feedback from uh, our, our pilot program. So thank you all the people who responded, who felt that uh, the program was interesting, and hopefully you are not wasting your time as much as usual <laughs> watching these films that we, uh, as rabbis, can say, well, there's some pretty good stuff there, and there's probably some positive things you can get from it. Um, Yitzchak, you're uh, so to speak. I don't know who the Achsani is, me or you here. Uh, what, what do you want to suggest first? All right, well, uh, next week is Veterans Day. And uh, this was a movie that I watched for work. <laughs> if you listen to the other podcast, you know, I work in a prison and uh, one of my jobs is I'm supposed to uh, view any, uh, you know, video or something that I'm going to show to the inmates. And we show, you know, re- videos for various religious and uh, I guess somewhat uh, ethnic groups as well. The The one that's really, um, even though it, we we kind of one of the movies that I showed recently within the last couple of weeks for the Native American community was 1961's The Outsider, where Tony Curtis, who my my Zadi always used to say that he used to play handball with uh, uh, on the Lower East Side, he was Bernard Schwartz uh, before he was Tony Curtis. Uh, he got a little bit of controversy because. A, a Jewish boy from New York City was playing a Native American from Arizona. Um, which, his name was Ira Hamilton Hayes, who was a Pima Indian. And he, you know, for the first time he left the reservation in Arizona to go join the Marines. And the movie is, uh, and so Tony Curtis plays, plays this Ira Hayes and we talked about Johnny Cash recently. Johnny Cash was so impressed and inspired by this movie that he wrote the ballad of, of uh, Ira Hayes, a song that he sang often. And the Ira Hayes was one of the men who lifted the the flag on Iwo Jima in the very famous picture, the photographs of, of lifting the flag. And uh, And the true story was, was that, you know, he he was asked to come home because uh, they felt that you know these heroes that were in this iconic picture it would be a big uh, uh, a big disaster if any of the survivors got killed and so they put him to work to be uh, do fundraisers for war bonds um, but he had somewhat of a survivor's guilt and PTSD and it really wasn't for him the whole thing. And uh, he became an alcoholic and it was a big scandal and he spent time in prison. So there are connections to, uh, to the prison. Native American, who, a Native Americans who could have been seen as, a, as an all-American hero, uh, the moment really 
brought together the idea that Americans of all stripes were fighting for democracy. And, you know, the flag in Iwo Jima was a sense that victory in the Pacific was going to happen. And yet Ira Hayes' own personal story was terrible, right? He, uh, the, the actual Ira Hayes, right? He, he, he died just in, in what, 1951 or something like that, right? I think he only lived for about five or six. 55, so it was about 10 years after. But he lived 10 years. Well, but, 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 but they were not, they were not, they were not good years for Ira. Right? No, so a young man, and it was a big tragedy. And, and the movie, of course, is a dramatization. It's not, you know, no, no movies are actually true to life, but it was, it was fascinating how it was presented. You know, he was, you know, he, he starts off in the beginning that there's a guy who he, he's, you know, they all call him uncle. And he's like, why do we call him uncle? He's not my uncle. And this uncle character was like, you know, the white man is the enemy. That's, you know, what he's presented with first. And he, you know, he really wants to go and go off to war. And he's very excited about fighting for the country. And he doesn't see the white man as the enemy. And when he's in boot camp, you know, anybody in boot camp, they're all going to be, you know, belittled and made fun of. That's part of the boot camp uh, experience. But he he's, you know, being presented as writing back to his mother. Uh, you know, he's he's being made fun of. He's being mocked. And he is, I don't know if he's just being Pollyannish about it, that he actually thinks that he's being shown respect or or he's, that's just how he's communicating to his mother. But he's writing back that, oh, they even call me chief. They show me such honor here and everything when, you know, they're just calling him chief to kind of make fun of him. So really the film was, so the film was actually in a certain way, as we know, it was at the cusp of the civil rights movement or right in the midst of the civil rights movement. In a way, it was sort of, uh, trying to make a, it was a message film in a way, not only to underscore the the tragedy and terrible history of Ira Hayes, but also to perhaps uh, send a message that real um, prejudice was still existing, you know, even among the all-American troops. Correct? Yeah, yeah, that that was part of it. And there and there's a lot of plot points. You know, one of the big issues that both the movie and the and and the Johnny Cash song bring up was how the water rights were stolen you know and that's why you know the some of the pima indians looked at the white man as the enemy because they stole their water they had a whole irrigation system and it was all, so this, it was uh, all taken away from them. And they, you know they were uh, jealous and like the people in in phoenix would have swimming pools and they don't even have water to drink and this so was part- this, this was not a stanley kramer production right this not it was taking us through the story a little bit was it gripping was it well acted was it something that you feel is worth the time of some of our listeners what do you think i i think so because it, it presents these issues that are important issues in a very sensitive way um you know not really even judgmental just matter of fact of how life just always isn't always the way you want it to be and it's really uh it's a powerful film in that way and i and i think it is worthwhile mm-hmm. right. uh, yeah. especially if you have to watch it for work so yes i see well you have to watch it anyway one that we should just talk about bernie schwartz a little bit um you know obviously you know he, he didn't hide the fact that he was a jew he didn't actually you know he married the shiksa goddess of course janet lee you know you couldn't really get you couldn't get more of a shiksa goddess than than janet lee um uh, you know in you know, in, in some way i guess that uh, but you know he you know tony curtis sort of was you know he was dark 
And I guess since he was a, you know, a, he had a certain Semitic look to him, I guess if they put enough, uh, you know, a little bit of black, blackish makeup on him uh, or brownish makeup on him, I guess, uh, you know, the, you, you could probably, he could probably pass as, uh, as a Native American. And in that sense, you know, you, you take the role that's given to you. Uh, today, of course, uh, you know, we talked to, I mean, when, we, when you told me you were going to talk about this film, we both joked about how, you know, in today's uh Hollywood milieu, uh, you can't, you know, you can't appropriate anybody's identity, right? Um, right. Yeah, so, you know, even if you're a cartoon character, so obviously this this would have been a, a bad no-no, but for its time, uh, you feel that it was progressive and that Tony Curtis uh, does a, uh, a decent job um, of generating pathos and feeling uh, for someone whose whose life was quite tragic and, and something I guess to think about, especially if you say if we're talking about Veterans Day, to think about how much more we have to go and and what 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 are some of the terrible things that have occurred uh, to the um, Native American population. Okay, I'm going to uh, both of my uh, suggestions today are pretty much from the same period. Uh, they're both from the early, basically earlyish mid '70s period. Um, I want to start with a, a TV, uh, a, a vintage television program. Uh, and it, this is actually from a, a television program I've mentioned before on our other podcast, which I think is, you know, I think it's, 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 it's one of the, uh, the best television shows, I think, consistently, which is, of course, Columbo. And, um, you know, we, we talk about, uh, you know, Columbo really, as you know, and we've talked about it, uh, put the detective uh, program on its and its ear uh you know normally you know in perry mason and some of the other detective programs the idea was he discovers it in the last reel he figures it out and the the the, the victim is caught at the very end and and sometimes you're surprised who you think it is um a similar thing happens of course in a, a program that has a lot of similarity to colombo which is murder she wrote with angela lansbury but with colombo you know who the murderer is from the beginning in fact the first you know basically the beginning of the program always starts with the murder. And then, you know, the fun, of course, is Columbo figuring it out and how Columbo catches the murderer. Uh, the episode, so they're all similar in that way. They all follow the same pattern. But this one has been rated by others. And I think as well, I think it deserves to be probably one of the top Columbo episodes of all time. It's called the Bye Bye Sky High IQ Murder Case. And it has, um, uh, it's about a group of, uh, Mensa-like characters. I don't know. I forgot what they call it. Sigma or something like that. That they're all geniuses, and a murder occurs among the two founding members, and the the bad guy or the murderer in this case is the wonderful, wonderful Theodore Bickel. And uh, Theodore Bickel, of course, uh, is very well known to uh, people who uh, who listen to Jewish records. Of course, he he, he of course was Tevia uh, in many productions of Fiddler on the Roof, and consistently, of course, never hid the fact that he was a Jew. He doesn't play a Jew necessarily in this, but he is the murderer. And um, it is such a well done episode, um, and it's a uh, it, it really is. Uh, an episode where you feel such sympathy for the murderer. And you also realize how smart Theodore Bickel is. Uh, he, you can tell uh, many times uh, the screenwriter, you know, uh, gives lines to an actor 
he inhabits the role. He only murders because he's been he he he's he's married to a trophy wife, Samantha Agar, and because of that, he's been stealing from investors um, and uh, people that <laughs> shouldn't have been stolen from older people who had no way of being able to get their money back, sort of like a Bernie made up sort of character, uh, but not as not as uh, as terrible as that. But his partner, Sorel Book, uh, Sorel Book, also a Jewish actor out of Buffalo, New York. Um, uh, he is uh, his uh, business partner. They've sort of found this immense organization together. When Sorel Book discovers that uh, he's been stealing, he's going to report him. And because of that, he plots this, he plans this elaborate murder, uh, which only a genius could probably have done. And it actually takes place in the sort of clubhouse uh, of this uh, group of geniuses. And of course, the geniuses, you know, are, are you know, the, the whole concept is made fun of. Um, and I, the what's great about this episode is that there's so much uh, revelation about the burden of intelligence in many ways, because as, as even though everyone in the club is supposedly has a certain high IQ, they are also befuddled. They also exhibit a lot of um, uh, social issues, the social issues that come with being sort of like a Vilda Ely, as we say. But what's also to me telling is that the uh, the, uh, the character that Theodore Bikel plays, he actually has to be, and we I'll, I'll use a Hebrew term, he has to be metzamtim, how, how smart he is, uh, to Colombo and to everybody around him. You know, he's he's not just an IQ of this level. He's obviously even smarter than almost anybody there. And because of that, he hasn't been really able to enjoy his intelligence to be able to live a life of the mind and even his attempt to live that has, has fallen short uh his involvement with a, a a woman who just wants to spend and and, and is just involved in, in physical things has caused him to do desperate terrible things um even to the point of 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 assassinating uh, his best friend and uh, you know, unlike other Colombo villains, also played by Jews like Leonard Nimoy and other uh, episodes, you really have a tremendous sympathy for him. And there's a great, great scene. It's just worth it's worth watching the 70 minutes, whatever it is, just to see them both talking. Colombo himself talking about his level of intelligence. You know, Colombo, of course, is the is you know the Galactic Mars says in Horios. There's Horafumaksha and Mosanumasik. You know, Columbo is Mosa and Umasik. You know, he's very smart, very, very smart. But he is dogged. He puts things together. You can see the wheels working. He's not, it's not like he's 100 steps ahead of you right in the beginning. But he's, he, he knows how to zero in on things. And he actually talks to Theodore Bikel before he catches him. And before he, you know, wraps up the case. He talks about how, he, how, people put him down how people didn't think he could make detective how hard he has to work and how he kept on showing up every day and how he applied himself and how much he loves what he does the and and and, and how much he loves solving things and putting things together so i i took inspiration not only from the great performance but also what it reveals about a very beloved character. that's that's my first one the sky the, the title is very unwieldy but it's definitely worth watching it. Uh, there's a, Jamie Lee Curtis, Tony Curtis's uh, daughter, 
is actually in that episode as well. You can catch her for about about 45 seconds on screen, maybe a minute. Uh, she plays a, a waitress who is not too happy, I think, with <laughs> with Columbo or what Columbo is ordering. That's my first choice. What's your second choice, Yitzchak? Well, we, we went to Monster Bash. We, uh, we talked about that last time, and we, we didn't stay till the very end. And so I wanted to catch up on the movies that I didn't get to see. And one of the movies was a movie I'd never heard of before, and I it's uh, not a great film, but it's short and it's fun. It's uh, although my daughter expressed that she was not a fan of it. It's called Valley of the Zombies, even though there's maybe only one zombie in it, and I don't know where there's a valley in the movie. Uh, but it's a movie about. It's from Republic Pictures, so you know already. It's not the. Uh, we're not you know the the other uh, the outsider was was Universal International, which already. You know, it's not it's not MGM. You know, it's not Paramount, but it's it's it, it, it's up there. You know, uh, but uh, Republic Pictures, I guess it's it's not quite uh, monogram. It's not quite the Poverty Row, but it's it's uh, down right. near the bottom. Although there there were some great right. films that came right out and 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 just, and just like people. last just like last week's Locket, this was also from 1946, right? Right. And uh, I mean, especially Republic. I guess their their greatest films were always the either the war movies or the or the uh, westerns that they made, which they made some really great ones. But when it came to the the serials and the science fiction and the horror, um, not 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 quite up high there. But it was so. It was so you talk. You missed it at Monster Bash. How were you able to watch it? Were you able to? You got it on it's TCM. On, it's it's on YouTube. Um, it is available on YouTube. There's at least two different uh, channels. I don't know if it's in the public domain or not. Uh, the same thing, the uh, the outsider also, someone just uh, posted it uh, that they taped off of television, it looked like from AMC, and that's when it's on you. It's on YouTube there. Uh, this one, the Valley of the Zombies, uh, it, it, I, I found two different copies on YouTube, like I said, and it's... Uh, yeah, so what's so tell so give us a little bit of the plot and why you think it's worth uh, as uh, why you are recommending it. Oh, I'm recommending because it's short. <laughs> I <laughs> so, hear. So in other words, if you need if if you if if you need your movie <laughs> fix, this will only take you less than an hour. Okay, good. What yeah, else? Fifty five minutes long. It actually, you know, Republic. They're famous for their serials, and it and it almost has the momentum of of one or two serial episodes but it's it's not a condensed serial it's an actual feature by itself it's about uh a kind of presented you know kind of like you're saying a uh, colombo with the mystery but it's not not quite as good um but it's 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 but it's the same type of thing where you know who the bad guy is you know who the killer is and um and other people know who he is also but they're trying to convince I guess kind of along the lines of, you know, 10 years later, the blob, you know, trying to convince the police that there's something uh, out of the ordinary going on here. So here's a guy who uh, was supposed to play Dracula and he does kind of like a Dracula vampire type of a, uh, an act that he's, uh, he needs to, he gets his brother to steal blood from a doctor's office in order for him to, uh, to continue to live after he was, sent to a mental institution and he was pronounced dead but he came back to life somehow through voodoo and zombie cures <laughs> and, and in order to sustain that he needed he needed blood and he was he had his brother 
steal the blood from the doctor's office and then eventually he couldn't cover up from anymore so he winds up killing the doctor and then they they're trying to figure out you know how to prove that this guy is not actually dead and and that it's not them themselves who killed the the doctor and the other you know they, they this this young couple who were the nurse and the and the i think another doctor there they had to prove that they're not the they're so not you took so you were not uh you were not multitasking while you were watching it. It was it was yeah. it was engrossing enough that that you didn't you weren't checking your phone and other stuff while the movie was playing. Or yeah, you I don't know about I don't know about that. I, I don't remember. <laughs> okay, so it's it's basically sort of a uh, a sort of a horror uh, type of mystery movie, and there is a. Um, it's it's not exactly a mystery, but it sort of has a. There, there, I know there's. I can see from the Wikipedia page that there is uh, a number of policemen in it as well. Um, uh, it's interesting that uh, the movie, although I, I love the poster, uh, maybe you could write the Wikipedia plot because it says here this article oh, needs yeah. a this article needs yeah. a plot summary. So it sounds yeah. like it sounds like it's all over the place. But it was still. Um, I, I guess it was still had enough production values. Uh, to keep your interest in it, and it was a good, it was a good print, which is you know usually when you have some of these movies, the prints are not very good. This was a good print, which a lot of times the Republic pictures, for some reason, the prints were maintained much better over the years. And mm. uh, this oh, is sure. an example of that. Okay, so <laughs> the Valley of the Zombies only cost you about an hour, and if you can write the plot, <laughs> Wikipedia, <laughs> Wikipedia wants you. Okay, here's another film whose plot is sort of all over the place. Um, and I'm sticking with Peter Falk here. Um, and again, you know, I mentioned before, you know, you have a, this collection of Jews and half Jews uh, in, you know, in the Columbo uh, uh, film. But this is a film that I, I think is very much informed by a Jewish sensibility. And that is Mikey and Nikki, which is uh, Elaine May's uh, masterpiece. Uh, she started filming it in 1973. And Elaine May, of course, was born Esther Berlin in Philadelphia. Um, she was probably the most influential comedian um, of the 20th century, I would say, probably. Uh, she pushed the envelope in terms of satirical comedy uh, in the 50s, and she really opened the door for so many other female comedians. And she and Mike Nichols, of course, were um, you know, a real trailblazing team. Um, you know, you know uh, two Jewish kids who really had a, an incredibly uh, brilliant take on what was happening in America at the time, the pseudo-intellectualism and you know, the political stances that were that were forming uh, between the between conservatives and liberals um after her brilliant uh, stint as a comedian and, and producing records she you know wanted to write films and direct films uh but she didn't direct too many but this was a film that she wrote and directed and uh she i think she filmed many many hours of this and it's a it's a, it's on paper it's a gangster film, but it really isn't. Uh, both uh, Peter Falk and his co-star John Cassavetes, who technically the who has more screen time than Peter Falk, um, are on screen almost consistently. It's mostly them talking, and they're talking because Cassavetes, who uh, plays Nikki. Uh, has ripped off his, although it's not clear if he's a Jew or not, but his boss is. 
uh, Sam Resnick. And he has, along with Resnick's accountant, I guess similar to the like uh, you know the accountant uh, Ganov in in the previous uh, my previous pick uh, have ripped the 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 boss off, and now he has been targeted uh, to be knocked off the same way his partner was, and he's holed up in some um, some apartment house, not coming out, and he's afraid, and and Resnick wants him dead, and Resnick sends. His best, you know, the, uh, well, he doesn't realize this. Uh, Nikki calls, he is his best friend from childhood, Peter Falk. And Peter Falk, of course, uh, in the film, uh, Nikki is suspicious because he's suspicious of everybody. He's been on a bender. He's been drinking. Who knows what other sort of uh, drugs he's been taking. He realizes that his time is, is, is very short. And basically, he realizes that he's thinking that this is the night he's going to die because he's made just too many mistakes in his life. And this mistake, the mistake he just made is a mistake that's going to land him, that's going to, kill, that's going to cause him to die. And here is his, the friend that he has from uh, growing up comes to him and he's hoping this is his last chance to perhaps save him, to get him out of town, to hide him. And the film is really about their conversations, what they've been through, um, and it's if you listen to the movie, it sounds like the dialogue is improvised. It sounds like people talking, and yet Elaine May wrote the film perfectly. She every single uh, piece of dialogue was scripted and written by her in order to have that sort of feeling. And of course, she she understood her actors. John Cassavetes, of course, was someone who uh, pioneered this sort of, and I've talked about him in the past. Uh, with you, Yitzchok, uh, he pioneered this sort of naturalistic sort of filmmaking where you really were seeing what the world was about. I talked about his film Faces uh, that, that that really is a standout this way. And this is sort of Elaine May using Cassavetes and everything he stands for. And and Peter Falk, who at the time I think was 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 very popular as Columbo and really bringing out, I think, a more um, gritty, dramatic aspect uh, uh, and, and even the sense, the the heart of uh, that Peter Falk has to play, because he, uh, I'm going to a spoiler here, he is, play, he is, he has been hired by Resnick to kill his friend, or at least to set up his friend to die. And the film really is about why that would happen. What's really going on between these two friends? Uh, there's a great scene where um, realizing probably that he's on his way to die. Uh, Nikki uh, jumps a, um, a fence to go into a, a, a graveyard in Philadelphia where they are, and he's trying to find the the kever of his mother. And when he gets to that kever, seemingly again, you know, Peter Falk, it's not his mother, but Peter Falk starts saying Kaddish, and um, you know he's trying to remember the Kaddish of. Of, of in order to say for Nikki's mother. And he's thinking about his own brother that had died when he was 10 years old. Um, the, the character that he plays, he realizes that although he's setting up this man to kill him, that this man has been his friend, this man knew his, his brother, this man knew his father and mother. Um, and there are secrets and things that these two have that he hasn't shared with his wife, he hasn't shared with his children. 
And it really is in a way a reflection on, today we would call it toxic masculinity in some ways, but it's really a reflection of the way human beings bond, the way male bonding occurs, um, the way there is this love-hate relationship sometimes among old friends, the way old slights are sort of never really forgotten, um, the jealousy that occurs in terms of where people go as they age. And the film really has a, a tremendous heart to it. Um, and it's, you know, you, you, it's like all great film noirs, although this is not one, there aren't really any good characters in it. And yet it tells you more about the human condition than a film that has an obvious hero. Uh, Ned Beatty plays the assassin. And Ned Beatty is always worth the price of admission to uh, a very uh, a great underrated character actor. Um, um, it also, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, it also really features a lot of, uh, of, of social critique of uh, of the way uh, African Americans were treated in the 1970s, and I think. You know, uh, the film doesn't make try to make saints out of their characters. So that's my second film for you. That is Mikey and Nikki from, again, a, a, a double Peter, a, a double barrel Peter Falk. So you talk. Um, what's, uh, um, you know, for example, when the um, when he wants to contemplate what happens when you die. Um, what happens when a person dies, uh, you know, the Cassavetti's character. So it's interesting what Peter Falk says. He says, you know, you know, the Catholics, it's the Catholics are into this Michigas, he says, <laughs> it's a, it, the Catholics are the ones who are into this Michigas that they have a complete, complete story about what happens when a person goes to the little mammoths. So, uh, you know, I, it, it was just mother were our, were, were part of what was, at that time was the last uh, gasp. This is not not really your your area as much. I think it's maybe it is. I, I I don't try to sell you short, but I don't. Are you familiar with the Yiddish theater? The the Yiddish theater. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> we'll see you next time. All right. Good night. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.